You're listening to the Audacious Church Podcast. This message was recorded live at our Manchester campus. We know this is a great investment into your life. So tune in, listen up and stay focused. For any more information, visit us online, audaciouschurch.com. I saw in the news this week that... Disney, I think it is, or someone is making a remake of Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Now, I don't know about you, but I think there have been some movies over the years that didn't need a remake. You know what I mean? How do you make a remake of the original? I mean, how could you, rom-com people, make another Sleepless in Seattle? You just couldn't. You know what I mean? There's only one Pride and Prejudice. That's the one with Colin Firth, the BBC production. How, how do you make a, a, a Star Wars and, and take, take the classic, you know, the classic, the original three? How could you ever remake them? I heard recently they're about to remake Harry Potter over 10 seasons, for those who are into that. Um, over 10 seasons with J.K. Rowling as the executive producer. How do, how do you do that? How, how do you make, remake the classic Wizard of Oz? I know they tried, uh, you know, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory and, and different things like that. I, I don't know about you, but, and maybe it's just my age, but, but I look at remakes and I think you shouldn't have messed with it. Apparently in the new one, Snow White is not looking for a prince to come and kiss her, kiss her and wake her up. Uh, the new Snow White in the new movie is looking for leadership, her own leadership, not to be led by anybody, but, but she's gonna come into a, a life of leadership on her own because it's not about the prince and the kiss and all those sorts of things. And okay, whatever, whatever we think about that, that, that that's, that's irrelevant. But you know something, when I was a child and I heard the stories, the famous stories, you know, the global ones, ones like Snow, War, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, you know that one? I, I gotta tell you, right, uh, half of those stories would scare me. You know, the Hans Christian Andersen, you know, fairy tales, you know, about children being eaten. You, you know, the, the, the nursery rhymes. The nursery rhymes are just about children dying. You know what I mean? And poor old Humpty Dumpty, forget, you know. And the thing about Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs is this, is that the witch always scared me. She always scared me. But I always loved the Seven Dwarfs. Now I looked it up, I can say that phrase, Seven Dwarfs. I looked at, and I loved the seven dwarfs. Who was there? There was a Doc, Sleepy, Dump, uh, <laughs> not Dumpy, Dopey, Grumpy, Happy, Bashful, and Sneezy. And I loved them. And there was something about their name. Their name was an adjective to describe what they were like. So, so you knew that Doc was a Doc, and you knew that Sneezy would, Grumpy was, from Yorkshire, yeah. <laughs> and yet they had all these differences and yet they came together as one. You know, when I think about International Sunday and I think about the nations, I'm kind of thinking a little bit that way that, that though we're, we're unique and, and we're different and, and we, we dress different and, and we talk different, we have different cultural nuances and different food, we have different ideas of time, different ideas of, of, of work, different ideas of everything. But you know, friends, the fact is this, is that in God, we actually come together as one, as, as, as one group, as, 
as one, one family, not one better than another, not England greater than any nation of the world, but, but just like the dwarves who would mine for diamonds, maybe that's what we're meant to do. Maybe that's the answer to things like war and, and racism and, and inequality and barriers coming down. Not looking to see what divides, but looking for the diamonds in the nations. Even in the Yorkshire people, looking for the diamonds over there to, to actually celebrate what actually brings us together. Now we're talking about the nations today for a moment. Nations, and here's what I want you to see. When God thinks nations, God thinks people. That's what I want you to lay a hold of today. When God thinks nations, God thinks people. Genesis chapter 12. The Lord said to Abram, go from your country. The literal word for country here, it means this, it means land. Go from your land. Go from your geographic location, move from your geographic location, from your country, go from your country and your people. The word people means relatives, your blood relatives. God is saying, leave your land, leave your relatives and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you a great Nation, the word nation is the word people. I will make you a great people. And those who bless you, I will bless. And those who curse you, I will curse. And the Bible says, and I will make your name great. So in Genesis chapter one, even though God gives Israel land, which is still debated in geopolitics today in society, that's not the topic. Even though God gave Israel land, there was something actually more important going on here because when God thinks nations, God thinks people. People. He's not thinking England, he's not thinking Nigeria, he's not thinking Kenya, he's not thinking Czech Republic. When God thinks nations, he's thinking people. This is Genesis chapter 12, the beginning of the Bible. The last words that Jesus speaks before he ascends to heaven is straight out of Genesis, um, straight out of Matthew chapter 28. And Jesus says this Jesus says, Now go and make disciples of all nations. Now friends, he's not talking about uh, nations, countries with geopolitical borders that, that move over the generations. He's not talking about that. The word nations in the original language, Greek, is the word ethnos and it means people groups. So Jesus is saying, I want you to go into the different people groups, take the Gospel, and make disciples of all nations. Today, we're celebrating the nation. We're celebrating the nations, yes, but I wanna do more than just celebrate a nation that was created by some political leader or a prime minister, a, 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 a king or queen, or even a victor in battle. I'm not talking, friends, today about a nation 
that had its borders drawn up at the end of war to say, okay, you are now this country and you are now this country. Even though I celebrate where you're from, I want you to see friends that in the Bible, there's something else going on. Last week I was in a taxi. This gentleman was driving and I always talk with the taxi drivers and I said to him, I heard an accent and I said, where are you from? Now about two months ago, I was in a restaurant with a friend from London and the waitress came and she had a little bit of an accent. I said, oh, where are you from? And my friend said, oh, you shouldn't say that these days. But I feel like because I've got an accent, I can ask other people where their accent's from as well. I don't care. So I'm in a taxi, I said, where are you from? He says, well, my country doesn't exist anymore. I went, what? He said, yeah, well, I was born in such and such a place. And at that time I identified as a citizen of that nation, but now my nation doesn't exist anymore. And it got me thinking, how many nations have come and go over the years? You know, England's only a thousand years old, don't you? Did you know in the last five years, countries have been made, you know that? I did some research. Since the fifth century AD, how many sovereign state nations have come and go, do you think? No longer around, how many? Shout out a number. 50, good guess. Anybody else? 200? The answer is 1,114 nations. 1,114 sovereign states where people identified as that nation have come and go in the last 1,500 years. Chances are, that at some point in the future, we may no longer need this flag. Countries come and go. Which is why when God thinks nations, He's not thinking a border defined by a politician, He's talking about people. And the beautiful thing about the church of God, the beautiful thing about what's going on in this place is this, is that we now understand that God has created a nation. That God has created a people who has the borders and boundaries defined by Him. But in this nation, we're not known by our geography, we are known by our spirituality. That's why, Kayla, you can leave Brazil and you can come to England and you can find home. This is my people. I was recently travelling with some students. They said, Pastor Glenn, how many countries of the world have you been through? I said, gosh, I don't know, a a, a few. And they said, okay, we're gonna go alphabetically through all the countries of the world and we want you to tell us which ones you've been to. Guess how many? 76. I've been to 76 countries. And I've got to tell you, right, that in every single one of those countries that I've been to, now, yes, I've been there for church and conferences and that, but I have been in, I have been in places where I've been in a, in, in a room with people who, with people who are, 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 are not born where they're born, have different culture, we have different ways of doing things, but he's more of a brother than the guy that lives on the street just around the corner. Because there's something more powerful going on than geography when we think about nations. See, God doesn't know me by my geography, though He knows where I live and He knows my address. God knows you and I according to our spirituality. 
I want you to know that God's people, we are God's people. We are in a sense, a nation, a people group. Designed by God, He is our God. He creates the borders. So listen, like any map, you look at any country, there's a north, south, east, west. There's something at the top there, there, there and there. I wanna say that in this nation called, called God's people, we also have a border and a boundary. And I wanna suggest we're surrounded by four things. Number one, at the top of the map, north is this, God. God is the King of the nation. Not the geography. No, 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 His people. God is the King. He is the King and we are His subjects. Like it or not, friend, if you know Jesus, if you're a Christian, you have a King. And people who live in a kingdom understand that the King and the Queen, they are ruling. So we have a King. It's reiterated in the first commandment that says this, you shall have no other gods before me. That in this nation, one God, one King, that one God, that one King is not the culture of my nation. That one God, that one King is not money. That one God, that one King is not my family. In this nation, God's people, we have a King and He is number one. You all know that last year, between uh, the Queen passing away and the funeral, I, I was invited to, to meet King Charles III at Buckingham Palace. And I remember being in the room just two or three days before the Queen's funeral and there was 30 of us in this room and all of a sudden, the room changed, the atmosphere changed, everything changed because the King walked in the room. Now, let me say this. When religion enters your life, and when I use the word religion, I'm, I'm not talking about the good form. I'm talking about the, the man-made form, our attempts to reach God. When religion enters your life, the laws that govern your life change. Did you know when personal discipline, enters your life. The, the constructs that govern your life change. You now do some things that you never did before because personal disciplines have kicked in. Did you know when, when more money and fame and fortune enters your life, then the risk of what you can lose and fear increases. But when the King and when I mean the King, I'm not talking about one though brilliantly recently crowned. I'm not talking about that King. I'm talking about the one who has no beginning, no middle, no end. He always was, He always is, He always will be. When He enters your life, absolutely everything changes. Because I got a King. He changes me spiritually. He changes me physically. He changes me mentally. He changes me emotionally. He may changes me socially. You see, Jesus came and the King of Kings came, not so you, you could have just spiritual eternal life, but that your whole body could be saved, that your whole life could be changed because the King entered the room. Now in May, April, April, I received an invite and the invite's coming up here on screen right now. And this invite came from Buckingham Palace. I was overseas somewhere. Do we have the invite? 
Is that text crooked? Looks crooked, doesn't it? Huh? Oh, it's designed crooked. Well, maybe we need to make it more crooked than just a little bit crooked because uh, I know my eye's not functioning very well, but. The coronation of their majesties, King Charles III and Queen Camilla, by command of the King Earl Marshall, da, da, invites Pastor Glenn Barrett to be at the, the Abbey on, on May the 20th. Da, 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 da. And as you should see this, this thing is amazing. It's about that big, it's thick card, it's gold gilt edge, it's embossed, it is stunning. I mean, it's just like, what do you do with this? The thing that got me about it was this, that phrase, by command of the King. You see, the unfortunate thing about the King and the Queen's coronation in May was it happened during a conference that I was running for 1,700 pastors in Harrogate in North Yorkshire. Our whole movement of churches came and not only was it the invite to go on the 6th of May to the coronation, but two days before to a rehearsal for the coronation, but I am running a conference. But what do you do when you get something that says by command of the King? The King has commanded. Now, I don't know if we still lock people in towers and dungeons these days, but I do know that the phrase by command of the King changed everything. I missed a day of conference. I had guest speakers fly in for a day from America to speak on Thursday. I wasn't even there. Why? By command of the King. Friends, I want you to know that when you are in the Kingdom of God, when God is your King, and you don't just identify from an earthly nation, though brilliant and we celebrate it, when you understand that you are God's people, you now begin to understand the phrase by command of the King. Love your neighbour as yourself. Not because you want to or it's easy or you like it, but by command of the King. Maybe the reason racism exists is because we forgot the command of the King. Matthew 7, 12, do unto others as you would have them do to you by command of the King. Forgive, the Bible says, for if you do not forgive others who've done harm against you, then God the Father cannot forgive you. Why? By command of the King. And these three remain, faith, hope, Love, but the greatest of these is by command of the King. Do you know what that means? Your opinion matters not. The culture of the day and age matters not. Recently, we've had a people, few people leave our church because they wanted me to change some things that the Bible expressly says. And I sat with them and said, guys, you gotta know I can't do it. Yeah, but, but we'll be more open and friendly to society. We don't wanna be on the wrong page of history in 20 years time. I'm like, I just can't change that bit by command. I feel safe. It, it just brings me safe. It, it makes me feel safe because the Bible says things and by command of the King, I hear what you're saying and my heart goes out to you, but the King. Yeah, but Glenn, in England. Yeah, but Glenn, in, in Saudi. Yeah, but Glenn, in Egypt. Yeah, no, no, no. But by, by command of the King. You know, during COVID, the Prime Minister's office, the Prime Minister, he recognised 
that in church, we create together the best citizens in the land. Honest, loyal, hardworking. I'm gonna swear now, you're ready? I'm gonna swear, paying taxes. Why? By command. So if you've got God as King at the North, surely at the South, we've got faith. Surely faith is at the Southern part of our border. Ephesians 3.12, in Him and through faith, in Him and through faith, in Him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. In Him, and through faith in Him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. How hard is it to explain faith? Have you ever sat with someone who doesn't believe in God and you're trying to tell them why you believe in God, but even while you're listening to yourself, you think, this sounds mad. I mean, if I was them, I'd think I'm mad too and I'm listening to myself speak and I think I'm mad. Maybe that's part of the reason why many Christians don't tell people about their faith. Because how do you explain something that's real to you and, and not to them? I think is it 1 Corinthians, is it, that says this, that, that we are saved by the foolishness of our faith. It's, it's the foolishness of the Gospel. It makes no sense. You're trying to explain it and it doesn't quite make sense. And then your friend, you know, in the coffee shop's looking at you going, you, you're just, you're mad. It makes no sense. It, it's foolish, yeah, right? But if He's the King and we're saved, we're gonna get to that in a second. And, and, and faith underpins us down here because now friends, we're not walking by sight. I'm walking by faith. You see, faith is hearing what God says. The Bible says in Romans chapter 10 that faith comes by hearing the Word of God. And sometimes we've got to turn off the telly and open the Bible. We've got to open the book and say, okay, God, what are you saying? Because when you speak, I get faith. You need faith to buy that new house. You need faith to marry that person. You need faith to step out in that new venture. You need faith to give again. You need faith to go again. Faith comes by one place, hearing the Word of God. Faith is hearing what God says. Faith is seeing what God sees. Faith is when you see what God sees. And it's all through the Bible. The angels saw a void, but God saw creation. Moses saw slavery, but God saw the Exodus. Gideon saw thousands, God saw victory. The spies saw giants, God saw a promise fulfilled. Joseph saw the prison, God saw a ruler. David saw failure, God saw his heart. Ezekiel saw the dry bones, God saw the army. The disciples saw an upper room, God saw power. What are you seeing? Oh, let's not talk about interest rates. We know about that. We know about the cost of living. We know about the challenge. What are you seeing in God? Because in the nation, everyone is freaking out, but you're part of a new nation that has faith underpinning it. And now I'm beginning to see what God sees. I think faith is thinking God thoughts. You know what I mean? Faith is thinking God thoughts. Think about what God wants you to think about. Turn off the worry, turn off the anxiety. I know that's tough. You've heard me say this, worry is practical atheism. We go from worshipping Jesus on a Sunday to 10 minutes later, we're full of worry, but to think God thoughts. Where do you get God thoughts? You get it from the book. Faith is not only hearing and seeing and thinking, but it's speaking the words of God. 
I think that's gonna heal the nations. Let's speak the words of God over the Ukraine. Let's speak the Word of God over Russia. Geopolitical borders and boundaries drawn up by people over centuries gone past and things shift and change, but we're gonna speak the Word. Parents, when your children are at, children are at school, go up to their room, put your hand on their pillow and speak the Word of God. I speak over my son, I speak over my daughter, I prophesy life and health and happiness and wholeness that God will bless them and God will favour them in Jesus' Name. And faith is not just speaking God's Word, but it's living the faith life. James 4, 17, if anyone knows then the good they ought to do and they don't do it, it is sin for them. Let's keep moving out in faith. The great atheist, Richard Dawkins, he said this, faith is a great cop-out. The great excuse to evade the need to think and evaluate evidence. Faith is belief in spite of even perhaps because of the lack of evidence. That's cool, eh? I wouldn't want that as a tattoo. See, what Richard Dawkins doesn't know is this, is the Bible word faith, it's the Greek word pistis, which means to be convinced by an argument. So faith is not belief in nothing, faith is belief in something. Because let's face it, church, you may not know all the science behind everything, but you cannot deny what God has done for you. So if you've got God as King of the North and faith, and faith in the South, then surely on the East over here, we've got salvation through Jesus Christ. And this is the thing that unites us and pulls us together. Acts 4, Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Surely, Glenn, all roads, all religions lead to God. By command of the King, I read, salvation is found, friends, in no one else. Not in your own work ethic, not in your own religious, pious activity. Salvation's found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we are saved. Do you know all around the world there are Many religions, there are many faiths, religious expressions that people have. But what's really interesting is that only our faith, only our faith is one that is not based on a system, based on a person. And that's not even me and it's not even you. It's, it's, it's not you, it's, it's based on the perfect, beautiful, precious Lamb of God. The majesty of heaven who left His throne with His Father and God came from heaven to earth so that you may know what it is like to have faith that comes through hearing the Word of God.
If salvation, friend, is found in Jesus, it's not found in you, that means that you didn't save you, He saved you. It means that He will sustain you. And it means that He will complete you. And I love this because I grew up with the Footprints poem. Do you know the Footprints poem? There was a man walking down the beach and two sets of beach. And, and, and at the end of his life, as he looked back, he looked at his life and he saw that in the most difficult times of his life, there was just one set of footprints, but in the, in, in the difficult times, one set, but in the difficult time, in the good times, two sets of footprints. And, and he said to the Lord, he said, Lord, when I look at my life, I see that you walked with me through my life. And yet through the difficult times, you left me, I walked alone. And in the poem, it says, Jesus says, no, no, my precious son, you don't understand. It was during those difficult times that I carried you. Now it's a lovely sentiment, but it's not true. He's carried you the whole way. From the moment faith, I need Jesus. You know what He did? carrying you through school, carrying you down the altar when you got married. He carried you through that divorce. He carried you through good times, healthy times. He carried you when you were in Amsterdam, getting a burst appendix removed. He carried you the whole time. He never stopped carrying you. And what I really love about this that I think is so beautiful, friends, is that He who never fails is the means by which we are saved and we remain secure. Salvation's not up to me, it's up to Him. Well, we've got God the King at the top and faith in the South and we've got East, salvation through Jesus Christ. And surely on the West, we have mission, mission, mission called to do something. Revelation chapter two about the Ephesian church. It says this, I hold this thing against you, Jesus speaking. You've forsaken the love you first had. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. Do you know what most theologians and scholars believe? They believe here that the Ephesian church in Revelation chapter two had not backslidden in that they'd walked away from God, but that in actual fact, they'd lost the sense of urgency for mission. To tell someone else about Jesus. Well, Pastor Glynn, we live in England, we live in Britain, we live in Wales, Cardiff campus. There's three things you don't talk about at the meal table. Money, Politics and religion. And if I was the devil, I'd have you not talking about religion too. If I was the devil, I wouldn't want you posting on social media. Went to church today. Wow, it's awesome. If I was the devil, I'd have you go to your ethnos, your nation that you sit around the table at, your people group in that office environment. And I I definitely would make sure that you never have the opportunity to talk about Jesus. Maybe friends, it's fair to say that it's time 
to let people know. Once again, hey, yeah, I was born in Kenya. I was born in England. I was born in the valleys of South Wales. I was born in Latin America. I was born in the Ukraine, but I am part of a different nation. One that will know no end. Maybe this week. Friends, it's time to pray again. Say, Lord, help me. Give me an opportunity this week to share my faith with someone. I love your nation. I love the cultural heritage, friends you bring to church. Thanks for making an effort and dressing up. Thanks for the language. Thanks for the food. But remember, we're a new nation. It won't pass away because of our King. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20, it says this, For we are Christ's ambassadors. Whenever I travel, I travel with both my British and my Australian passport. And the reason being is because I'm in a hotel in a part of the world and there's conflict or there's a tragedy or something happens, then the fact is this, that with my two citizenships, I can go to whichever embassy is closest to where I'm staying. It's cool, eh? little tip for you. And the thing about an embassy is this, is that when you go to the embassy, let's say I'm, I'm in Kampala, for example, and, 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 and something happens and I go to the, to the British Embassy. Did you know the British Embassy? Though, though the British Embassy is in Uganda, in Kampala, it's not Ugandan, it's British. And all I've got to do is walk up to the soldiers at the gates and flash that passport still has the Queen on it. And I'll say, come on in. As soon as I step in there, you know what? The laws of Manchester are the laws that dictate now that I'm in the Embassy Combo. I don't know if you've met ambassadors. We have in some of our campuses, ambassadors from different nations. You know something about the ambassador? The ambassador doesn't represent the nation where they're living. The ambassador represents the nation that they have been sent with. That's why that even if an ambassador breaks a law in a country, they're protected by the laws of their own nation. You have a King. You are an ambassador to represent the Kingdom of Heaven. So friends, speak your home language loud and proud. Wear the clothes of your nationality of birth. But I'm here to tell you today that maybe if we can live out the culture of heaven, we're gonna find two things will happen. Number one, it will daily clash with Manchester culture. But number two, we will see a change in our nation. Because in Audacious Church, there are four and a half thousand ambassadors. Of heaven. Come on, stand your feet across this place. Lord, we are so thankful for today. We're so thankful that we get to celebrate You and celebrate the nations. Lord, I pray for every person in this room today 
who maybe culturally speaking is feeling homesick, a, a loss of home, a loss of culture, whatever that may be. Father, I pray that in our church, You'd help them to find a new home. Not just a temporary home, but a new home. A new home where they can just pull up a chair and get their legs under the table and eat around the dining table of audacious church and, and truly be family. But more than that, God, we honour You as King. And we recognise that with You as King, we're part of a new nation. So I ask in the mighty, mighty, wonderful Name of Jesus, help us all to be ambassadors, not of an earthly kingdom, but a heavenly kingdom. For God says, if my people will humble themselves and pray and call upon me, then I will heal their land. Come and heal us, heal our land. Amazing Saviour, in Jesus' Name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this Audacious podcast. For any more information, visit us online, audaciouschurch.com. We'd love for you to join us at one of our campuses, Manchester, Chester, or online every Sunday, 10 a.m. and 12 p.m. 